Welcome to Dialogues, everybody. I'm Chris Miller. To my right is Tom Shiflett, and we are going to dive into different topics tonight. Of course, we start with Major League Baseball and the World Series. Something I like to look into is with the regular season, um, with the Philadelphia Phillies going 87 and 75 with a positive uh, 62 run differential um, versus what the Astros were able to accomplish during the regular season, 106 and 56 with a 219 run differential. Yeah. Major, major difference. But I think it's dangerous to go into this World Series with the portrait and idea that this is David versus Goliath, where it certainly isn't, um, in my opinion, because How just so? one metric that I looked at is that the Philadelphia Phillies opening day, their payroll was $221 million versus yeah. Houston was one ninety four. Okay. Uh, both top 10, Phillies yeah. being number four, and Houston being number eight. Yeah. So I don't really buy the whole... Well, I mean, I think this, I mean, this is their fourth World Series trip in six years. This is the Phillies' first playoff appearance in 10 years. This is a team that's been playing amazing baseball for six years compared to a team who's caught a bit in flux, flux most of the year until things finally turned around when they can Joe Girardi. But I, I think this kind of is kind of a David versus Goliath thing. I think the payrolls, sure, they're similar because they spent a bunch of money on Castellanos and Schwarber in the offseason. But, I mean, Philadelphia hasn't been very good throughout the Bryce Harper contract. I think they're playing really good baseball right now. I still think this is like, I think the Astros are a way better team than the Phillies are. I think they're just the best team in baseball right now. Oh, yeah. I think we I think the thing too where we felt like that way weeks ago. The Phillies are super hot right now. The Astros haven't lost a game in the postseason yet. Yeah, so, I mean seven and zero versus nine and two. I would say that's pretty hot baseball too right now. So that's kind of like a weird thing where people are kind of going into the series saying, "Well, the Phillies are hot." I'm like, well, the Astros also haven't lost. So which, I mean, that's pretty hot if you ask me. Yeah, a good metric to also look at in the comparison between these two teams is yeah. how unbelievably great. The bullpen has been for the Astros. Yeah. Uh, a 0.67 ERA, which is just ridiculous considering how many innings they have pitched as a unit. Yep. So that's outstanding. And throughout the playoffs, Jose Altuve has been quiet. He finally started to look like he's starting to get out of it once those last two games in New York. So maybe that's a he's on the right track there. But yeah, he was what, over twenty five? At one point, he was really scuffling, but they were still 4-0 through the postseason without arguably their best hitter really hitting the ball. So. Yeah. I mean, when they won the World Series in 2017, he was hitting well over 300. Mm -hmm. So I expect him to get hotter. Um, even in the Yankees sweep, uh, which was satisfying as an Orioles fan, oh, for sure. For everyone that wasn't a New York fan, it was very satisfying to watch. Uh, uh, Alvarez didn't really make 
that big he impact. He really hasn't swung the bat that well since about the Seattle series, really, and which is just more incredible of what they've kind of been able to do with Altuve scuffling as much as he was. Alvarez really wasn't popping at the plate, but Alex Bregman, Pena was hitting clutch hits. McCormick was getting clutch hits. Like It was just next man up, and it didn't really matter for this lineup at all. So it worries you once those two really start clicking, and as well as Bregman's been swinging the bat for about two or three months. It's going to be a tough out. So you, you have two good starting pitchers, honestly, for Philly and, no, and Nola and Wheeler. Wheeler so, right. And they're bar- prone to give up the home run ball. And it's going to be interesting. Like, I hope I'm kind of rooting for Philadelphia because I'm a giant Bryce Harper guy and I would love to see him win something. But it's hard for me to imagine the Astros lose this series. They just feel like, to me, they've just been the best team in baseball all year. Yeah, I'd go a little, little further than that. I, I don't see the Astros giving up a game. In the um, series, I, think they, they, I mean, they might be able to get. I don't know. I, it's hard to predict a, a sweep in the World Series. Just, just alone, how Bryce Harper swinging the bat. He could swing a game just by himself. Eighteen hits so far. He's hitting what, like three forty or something like that. He's just been dominant at the plate. Like I think he can at least swing a game himself. So Swiber swinging the bat pretty well too. I think they can at least get one or two. I hope it's a good series. I hope it's seven. I hope it's a really good series. I hope it's a long. Hard-fought series. That's really what I hope it is. Yeah, I I certainly hope for seven games and a majorly competitive I want seven games so the national media can just give Bryce Harper all of his flowers throughout the whole time, and we can just enjoy, like, what is Bryce Harper. That's a good angle. Um, Yeah, he's been absolutely terrific. That doesn't even like it's an understatement of like what he's done this postseason. Like it's insane. Not even just as like a bit, but like a superstar player playing like that in the postseason, given how Judge struggled and every other superstar really struggled this postseason. It's just incredible what he did, man. Yeah, and coming off in a thumb injury. Yeah. Which it got has to affect the mechanics of hitting the baseball. Yeah, which was crazy when throughout that run they were making to get into the wild card spot and lock it down. Like Bryce was still going through figuring out his swing and recovering from the thumb and he couldn't play in the outfield still can't because he's DHing and it threw him everything off and they were still winning baseball games with him scuffling the way he did and he finally turned it on when it mattered the most. Yeah. So, I mean sticking with the Bryce Harper story, which is certainly compelling and maybe the best uh thing going into this oh, hell yeah. World Series, considering how you know most people want to avoid the Astros, sort of. I still think a part of people want the Astros to win just for Dusty Baker. Is that enough to overcome the? There's also a lot of prejudice. Who don't like Bryce Harper either. So. Surrounding cheating, kind of blah blah blah. Yeah, I it. I don't know. It's a it, it's Most a complicated. Don't like Philadelphia sports fans that aren't in Philadelphia, so that'd probably be another thing where people are kind of like, I have to root for Philly, or I have to root for the cheaters. I don't know what I'm gonna do here. Yeah. It's probably a weird thing if you polled the country what they would be rooting for here. Honestly, I don't think it's a slam dunk either way. Yeah, looking into Bryce Harper's production at the DH, it's good to know that sort of the four to five at-bats, that level of activity, is good for him at this point. Um, Meaning later on in his career, down the road, where he loses a step in the outfield, certainly can be a DH and go 
a long time. We still have a very long time at Bryce Harper producing in baseball. So it's yeah, it's it's also made, I guess they figured out a way to you know preserve his career. Now he doesn't have to play every day corner outfield like he used to. Now I probably would like to go back to where like Schwarber could probably just DH so they can you know have to deal with that adventure in the outfield every single inning. But for right now, it's a safe bet just to have him DH the rest of the year. Do you take any issue with Major League Baseball in the front office not prioritizing the schedule in a way where it's going to be from Sunday, the last game in the championship series for both teams, Mm. and turning that around to a Friday game game one? Is that too long of a duration? Did... Major League Baseball miss an opportunity to put know. it. I don't know. I feel Tuesday like, or Wednesday. It felt like it was rushed anyway, getting through right to get through all those games to get to this point. So maybe a little bit of an abbreviated break would be kind of nice for these teams. I mean, I mean, Houston. I, I assume Houston doesn't really mind. They really haven't played that much baseball going on here. But it did seem like things were kind of rushed going through the wild card into the DS, and then the championship series kind of felt like it was a little abrupt too. So they could beat football and everything like that. So. I don't know. Maybe a break wouldn't be too bad for these teams. But, yeah, maybe I guess in the couple days since Sunday until Friday, maybe some people have forgotten about it and maybe the lead will get buried. Maybe that's you'll lose some people that way. But I don't, know, I don't have a problem with the, the long break. Do you? Plus, Friday night, you don't really compete with anything. No, no. Friday night, you don't. But Saturday, you will. Yep. I understand skipping Sunday competition with the NFL, obvious. But Monday, when Game Three turns around, you're going. They're going Friday to Saturday. I think it's Friday, Saturday. Skip a day and then go to. Wow, because it used to do. They used to space it out like the NBA Finals did, right? They'd play a game, then they'd have a day off, then a game, and then two days in between the travel day. Isn't that how I felt like they used to do it? You know what I? I don't really remember either. It usually like it all just runs together. But yeah, I guess Friday, Saturday, so you don't have to have no game Saturday, then compete with the NFL Sunday night football for game two. Yeah, so it's Friday, then Saturday, then Monday. Okay, so no game Sunday. Cool. Okay. Monday, that's fine. You're competing with Monday night football, but that's fine. Yeah. It's not, you're not facing, you're not going up against Packers and Bills on Sunday night football, so I guess that's fine. I forget what the Monday night game escapes me right now. but Yeah, I mean, it's, it's certainly doable. Yeah. So, game one, October 28th. Game two, October 29th. Game three, October 31st. Then we get into November, which I think is what they're trying to avoid. Uh, but they could have certainly avoided that if they sped, it out, uh, sped up the schedule to having it Tuesday the 25th yeah but uh game six or game five possible november 2nd game six possible november 4th game seven if it gets to that point that's not too bad november 5th saturday night at eight i hope it does go to seven good i hope i hope it does the postseason's been really good i've enjoyed it postseason's been an outstanding product keep it going yeah, the, the World Series should only be better. These are arguably the two teams that are playing the best baseball coming into October. So it's only right that they're playing against each other here. Yeah, p- perhaps. I mean, one of the storylines I'm very intrigued by is 
how both of these teams have, within the nine innings, overcome deficits on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. Sort of that comeback mentality is contagious in both uh, both teams have yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, the other day, what was it, multiple double or like two, at least two lead, like two run deficits, they came over Philadelphia. Well, I mean, if you're you're Melvin, then like, how did you not put Hater on the mound any of those situations? I mean, to go of, go lefty lefty against go, Harper. Like, yeah, I know that is a major mistake that is going to be spoken about ad nauseum. At yeah, least even in San the night, Diego, the night prior, like going to Clevenger and he gets you know the three hits on the three earned runs and like again you didn't use Hater in that situation. He's on full rest those past two days. It's just kind of guy who pressed all the right buttons throughout the season to get to that point, and then it just kind of feels like he kind of gapped the season there. But, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and Hader looked elite like Yeah, he, he had just to. gotten back into form, full day's rest. I mean, it's crazy that you didn't put him out there, especially, especially on Sunday. Yeah, to wrap up why I don't think this is a David and Goliath like you do, which I'm glad we disagree on that, I remember when... The L.A. Dodgers took on the Tampa Bay Rays, and mm-hmm. the payroll disparity was absolutely enormous. I think it was roughly two hundred million dollars, uh, you know, difference. Yeah. Here, I I don't I don't see any real. Yeah. I mean, disparity. I don't think I don't think the payroll thing. I don't know. I don't think that makes a team like a super team or not, because a lot of teams do are pretty high up in payroll, even if they aren't that great of a baseball team. So I, I don't know. And even especially with the Rays, as frugal as they are, I don't think that's ever going to be a conversation for them. Even if they are super good, they're probably not going to be within a hundred million of like an LA team or something like that. Yeah, but, fair enough. I just uh, historically, the teams that are under. 150 million do not make it or win a World Series, and that's been the case no, for generally not, 25 no. to 30 years. Yeah. So there is something to that. Four yeah. of the five teams were uh, who made it to the championship series or or the playoffs, hundred plus wins and playoffs, all were in the top 10 yeah. payrolls. So just a, a yeah. insight for me. Yeah. Where. I don't I don't buy uh, the image of sort of the rock being flung into Goliath's face. Yeah. I don't see that I don't see that depiction working out for me. Yeah. Now it does for you. I mean I don't think it's yeah, competition level. I don't think it's a crazy thing. I don't think it's a crazy thing to call it David versus Goliath. But I could I I like I get what you're saying too. But I I think just from a this team has been together for this amount of years. This is their fourth trip in six years. Like this team has been like the standard of baseball, and then you've had the Phillies who've kind of derped around for like 10 years. Correct. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, hey, they spent all that money in the offseason for a reason, and that's why when Joe Girardi was still hanging around and they were so bad, I kept it. They've got to get rid of this guy. They're too talented to be this bad. And imagine that. They can't him, changing the locker room, and now they're slaughtering the baseball and playing in the World Series. Crazy. That stuff matters. Stuff matters, man. Managerial like changes in the season really they really make a difference in like baseball. Giant difference. It resonates, yeah, for sure. Yeah. To wrap up my thoughts on Does Joe Houston, Girardi get a ring? I don't think so. 
I don't I don't know how that works. I think if you manage a certain amount of games, right, don't you get a ring? He like got if fired you play, in June. I don't know how what proportion. He probably didn't even make a dent in how many you would probably need to be considered to get one, right? Because yeah. I know in the NBA, if you play a certain amount of games, you get a ring if you are not on that team the next year. It's definitely an interesting question. I don't know question. how that works with the manager. I mean, it'd be good. For, I mean, that'd be a win for him. He gets shit canned and he watched him win the World Series and he gets a ring out of it. I mean, I guess, but. Yeah. He's probably sick, though, too. At least they're not making him do. He's not doing television, right? I haven't okay. seen him. All right. If yeah. He was doing Fox for a while. That would suck if he would have to cover it for Fox. Yeah. Talk about the Phillies winning the World Series potentially when they just shook hands. I, like a couple I would months be better. Ago. Yeah, that I would, would be better. I always felt bad for Mark Jackson going through that with the Warriors stuff. Yeah, he took it like a champ. Kind of. For me, with the wrap-up for the World Series, yeah, yeah. with Houston, and we've, we texted about this, how the arrival of Pena and others... McCormick, yeah, it makes. Like- I mean, we didn't even talk about Kyle Tucker, who's been fabulous um, this season. They're not going anywhere. No. So the four out of six will continue. Yeah, yeah. And there's, I mean, outside of Verlander retiring, but I think they have the pitchers and arms. Yeah. To compensate, they also have you know a little bit of financial flexibility as well. So if they do lose a guy, they probably could take a swing for a, another level starting pitcher to make up for that. They're built to do this for a long time. And again, like that's how you keep these windows open. You have young kids just step right in for like. You lose a George Springer and you lose a Carlos Correa, part of a championship core, and then it's just completely fine. It was almost like those guys. It was a seamless transition, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, it's wild. Certainly wild. That's how you go to four World Series in six years, man. Yeah. All the way from the top down, like scouting everything. Like they've just absolutely murdered it for over a decade now. And it's not going to stop anytime soon. It's really not. They're in place to keep going for a very long time. Yes. And there's not many teams that are kind of built like that right now to keep going when you think that way. It, it is a bona fide and sustainable model to continue winning at the highest level. To me, I know this is biased, but Baltimore has the beginnings, the spuds. Well, they're following the Houston blueprint. What, yes. Right. Yes. Of what they did maybe eight to ten years ago. Yep. So we'll see how that manifests. But... Transitioning to the NBA, two points I would like to cover for this episode. Sure. It's been really nice seeing Damian Lillard back in the NBA. Portland 4-0 so far. Playing right? Good basketball. Yeah, which is funny. You know, the Chauncey Billups hired was kind of looked at like it was pretty dumb for most people. Uh, a lot of smart basketball <laughs> people had Portland being really bad, really, really bad from the start. And then you start talking about Where's David Lillard going to go? They can't waste his prime like this, but they got a lot of young, nice kids around him. Nurkic is healthy, and Simmons Anthony has been, Simons is Simon, a beast. Sorry. And then you got Sharp, too, who looks like he's going to be a stud, and then Dane looks healthy. Like, all that time he took off last year, he finally looks healthy. He hasn't taken time off to really rest his body in a long time, and he looks really good. Like, the other night in L.A., like, he he's a Laker killer, man. He treats every game against the Lakers like it is game seven of the finals, and he just slits their throats every time. It's awesome to watch, man. Yeah. They're playing me- good basketball. They're playing real. I don't know how sustainable it is, but Dame Lillard looks awesome, dude. Yeah, him coming back into the fold of not only being a relevant player and scorer, which he certainly is, Yeah, but the point guard position sort of, took a hit over the last two years with Chris Paul diminishing and Russell Westbrook absolutely 
just falling off yeah. a cliff, especially at 8% three-point shooting. Yeah. I had to I had to double and triple check that. Yeah, it's it's a bad spot Russ is in right now because there's a lot of possessions where he's just kind of standing in the corner and they have to have him shoot a three and it's just not his game. Never really has been. He's always been a streaky shooter. Even when he was like MVP Russ, he was pretty streaky. He was still hanging around like 30% from three. So, I mean, yeah, it's just – it's a rough spot he's in in L.A. I'm not saying like he's, you know, a victim or something like that, but it's just – it's just not a good spot. He probably needs a nice little change of location. That'd probably be great for everybody. But I'm hoping for it. And I think you know everyone involved is hoping for it. Yeah. Back to Dame. The 33.3 points a game on 50% from the floor, 40% from three, yeah. and 91 from the foul line. Something to look into the... You know, the 50-40-90 club yeah, he's used usually to hanging just around. be reserved for Steph and maybe someone every KD, every Kyrie. year. Yeah, yeah, Kyrie hovers around there. But Dame's always around there, but I think just a lot of his shot profile kind of stinks a lot of the time, so he takes ill-advised shots at times just because it's the nature of what they are. But he's got another two or three guys that can kind of take some shots away from him where he doesn't have to. But, again, this is a small sample size. We're four games in. It could take a turn here and he might get back into have to carry this team on a night to night basis and take some shots. He probably doesn't want to, but if they can sustain this for a while, like I don't know if they'll end up being a play in team, but they will be an interesting team every single night. It won't be one of these, you know, pity parties for Dame every single night where we're having think pieces of like, what's this doing to his legacy? Why isn't he trading? Like wanting to go somewhere and chase a ring or something. So right now we can just worry about Dame Lillard playing hoops and it's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's outstanding. Yeah. He hasn't scored at this clip since 2016-2017 campaign where he was an all-pro. Yeah. So that's thoroughly welcomed. Just hope he stays healthy. Correct. And everyone around him is still kind of playing confident basketball for a couple months now. And, you know, as long as Nurkic doesn't get hurt, I think that's still a, they're going to be a very entertaining basketball team. Yeah. I was preoccupied before the season that he was going to look like and obviously so, that he lost his step and is not the same guy. Although he's a very uh, good to great shooter, for sure. Oh, he's but one of the best to do it, yeah. a step is so big in the NBA, yeah. especially as a point guard where you create most of those shots. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a nice sign. I yeah. know it's four games in, but it, it has looked as well, good as it possibly could. He's just like kind of a shell of himself last year when he was on the court. He had the core issue, and then he had something with his groin too, but he's a guy who just wants to go out there and hoop and play for his team every day, and they're finally like, man, we stink. Just go home for a little bit. Rest up finally. You haven't rested in like two years. He was playing with that core issue for like a year and a half. Like go get surgery, relax, rehab, come back, and then we're seeing the results of that right now. He was kind of his own worst enemy the past year or so. Just wanted to be out there for his team, but like for the greater good, you should probably just rest up for a bit. Most definitely. Moving to the other topic uh, for the NBA for this evening. I really like and predict that John Morant and Zion Williamson could easily become faces for the league. Absolutely. Especially once LeBron... Retires, which who knows when that's going to be. Maybe a Kevin Durant fading 
in a couple years. Well, I mean, you still got Luca too. Oh yeah, Giannis Luka. and Luca are already in that club. You got Tatum the way he's played this year. You still got a lot of guys who are young around the same age that are going to be arguing over and over in barbershops everywhere. Like who actually is the face of the league? Like we're in really good hands right now. Like awesome hands right now. Excluding Ja and Zion. You could just talk about Luca or Tatum for the next couple of years. Who's the face of the league? You still have Jokic too, who's still really young too. I caution you with Tatum as, as good as he is, which is certainly true. He's playing amazing ball right now. He is not the charismatic attraction that Zion and Ja. Well, it could be the bird and magic thing again where Larry was just, you know, as plain and dull as a white T-shirt and was lame, but he was a killer on the court and people loved to watch him ball. And that's kind of what I think Tatum has more of a personality than Larry Bird did, obviously, but he's not to the extent of like a polarizing character as Ja or Zion or even Luca and Giannis. Yeah. And Jokic is kind of in the same category where he's not very charismatic at all. People are interested in the character that he is because he's not the normal that we're used to seeing. People who touch and go with the NBA would probably put Joel Embiid ahead of. Absolutely. He's more charismatic right? and he was more vocal and he's more of a he's more of a troll personality online. He has more of a presence on the internet. So yeah, more people will probably notice Joel Embiid more than they would Nikola Jokic. Jokic. Yeah. But if you look at the stats, it's pretty clear yeah. it, it belongs to, to Jokic, Jokic at the moment. Yeah. 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 But I, I, I would also argue that since Shaq, the NBA does better when the faces of the league are ball handling, well, yeah, playmaking guys who do not rely on anyone else well, I mean, it's to like the, get their buckets. Like the Tim Duncan Spurs thing when they were dominating and they were the kind of the dynasty, people were kind of bored by it because there weren't any polarizing figures really on the team, honestly, and they didn't really gravitate to the casual basketball fan like a Kobe Bryant or a LeBron or something like that. So, yeah, the league probably does want more ball-dominant guys to be the faces of your league. Except for Zion, where, I mean, he could be more ball-dominant than most people if he wanted to, but that's not really his game where he succeeds the most. But again, like, I think just pointing to that, we're in amazing hands for the next, like, 12, 15 years. And there's only going to be more, like, amazing kids coming up. Like, when Victor comes in, that's another guy that we can, like, lean on for 10, 15 years who will probably take the pillar of being, like, the face of the league for a very long time. And the next kid after that and after that, like, the NBA's in a good spot. They just need to... They need to capitalize on these great young talents and not ruin it with kind of their coverage like they do usually. Just make it all about the game. Don't worry about the other shit. That, do, that stuff doesn't matter. Like, we don't need to have legacy talks on a Thursday night in week two of the NBA season. We don't need to do it. We don't need to have panic meters. These are must-win games. It's, it's the third game of the season. Luckily, the Lakers are horrendous thus far, and the attention and avoidance of talking about them oh, has kind of dominates but it, it, it's it's uh lessened at least from from my view which is only a good thing to me that i don't have to hear the whole nonsense about mount rushmore and greatest of all time when diluting what lebron has been able to do and is going to accomplish this season. Well, I mean, like, the people who watch basketball, or like the people who watch basketball, are completely disconnected from the people who cover <laughs> basketball. Like today, you know, Stephen A. Smith and Jay Williams, who are supposed to be basketball of like aficionados, aficionados for, sure. for ESPN and the company, like the worldwide leader in sports, 
feel like talking about Anthony Davis like he's been playing terrible or something. Like he's already been, been the he's arguably been the best Laker this season so far. He's not shooting the ball well, but he's arguably been the best defensive player in basketball, and that's why they had the second highest rating, like defensive rating in the league, because Anthony Davis is playing amazing ball all night. But they're ragging on the guy like he's a scrub or something like that. It's just like you're not watching the games. You're just saying things to get people to watch what you're saying and either agree or disagree with what you're saying. It's just clickbait, hot take garbage now. That, that's what this league has been covered by. And, and we avoid that at all costs here. I try to. I mean, I see it all the time on clips on the Internet. It's hard not to see it, but I, I try to avoid all those shows. But I don't know. There's times where you just there's nothing else on television. You're home throughout the day, and you're like, well, I'll just throw in the worldwide leader. And it's like, this is just garbage. Yeah, to me, on a different note, fact or evidence has a greater likelihood to become truth than conjecture and opinion ever does. So as, as far as the experience of being a fan, using as much of the empirical data as possible to make an inference, it's probably the best bet. And well, they have you deviated. Can, you can get into that dangerous category, though, of just paying attention to strict numbers. And no, no, you have to watch the, the game. Yeah, Part there, of the... there has to be a unison of both. You can't lean on one or the other because they really like they tell the complete story. You got to pay attention to both, and I think that's a problem with most people. They don't they either watch the box scores or they don't watch the games at all, and then they don't pay attention to the analytical numbers that kind of support the things that you are seeing on the court if you follow those analytical numbers. Some people are just so just one or the other, and they're just really missing out on a whole other half of the game. Yeah, I, I definitely, definitely true. Yeah, to me, I think uh, empiricism or sort of deriving your ideas from empirical data comes from experience of the game mm -hmm. and referencing the stats and analytics as, as far as you can take them. Yeah. Yeah, but you can't have interpretations of something that you didn't watch or experience. Correct. Like, That's if you didn't watch dangerous. it, but you saw the shot chart, or you saw the plus minus or something like that. People love going to that one, but, like, did you actually watch what they did on the court? That's like, a different thing. Like It's like giving guy... a film review with, with just watching the ending credits. Yeah, you that's not you can't that's not sustainable. Yeah, no, no. No, no, no. And that's kind of what this league has turned into now. And it's a lot of people where it's ran by social media at this point. It's ran by that subsection NBA Twitter who are either super hot takey and just love to make jokes the whole time about every single game and this and that, and they don't really get into the actual breakdown of the hoops. Yep, so double-edged sword because yeah, the NBA has grown because of it, and now it's yep. They've perhaps a little a watered down they because it's present. Yep. But to continue with the John Morant and Zion Williamson uh, becoming uh, faces for the NBA, which feels so certain with the amount of talent that both have, mm -hmm. is there any real risk or worry to you when it comes to longevity of both of these super athletes who tend to be so explosive that it comes at maybe some cost to yeah. their durability availability. I think something that's kind of lost in this too going forward, I think because we're going to see more load management, we're going to see more nights where dude doesn't play a back-to-back -back anymore and it, it's not how it used to be or whatever a couple of years ago, but we're never going to see a guy like 
like LeBron, who played like every single night, who is the star of the league, but he plays every single game, every single minute. Like we're not going to see dudes like that anymore. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, for 20 plus. It's, it's not going to happen. Giannis is probably the closest thing we'll have to that, where he'll probably play every single game until he retires. He's probably the only guy that's like that. But everyone else is going to take a night off or two. The coaching staff is going to make a guy take a night off or two because the amount of money they put in these kids – it's not worth playing them 40-some minutes a night for 82. It's not worth it. So, yeah, I mean, there, there might be concerns for like, well, he only played 55 games or something like that. Who cares? He was electrifying in the 55 minutes he was out there, and it was awesome. You just want him healthy for when it matters the most in June. That's when you want these kids, like, to be the best. So, I don't mind dudes resting. I really don't. Like, I get it from a, a point of, like, ticket sales and, like, a kid – paid money to go see Zion or whatever and he's out that night or something like that and you wasted a hundred dollars but like I don't really think about going to basketball games a lot anymore so that doesn't really get into my thought process where it's like oh I don't get to see him on league pass tonight no big deal yeah if I'm Adam Silver I would put in regulations and rules surrounding wrestling which I I agree is is inevitable but make sure that that arrangement is disclosed ahead of time Sure. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd like forty-eight hours. Sure. I, I don't. I don't know what the magic number would be. See, but that's giving, a tricky thing too. Was like you could schedule. Like you're going to schedule a guy to be off in two weeks or something like that. I don't. It's hard. It's a. It's something where it, you're going to have to understand that load management is going to happen. I don't think it'll ever be a perfect science where we figure it out where it doesn't completely bone fans. I don't. I, think that's I don't the think that's what we're, we're asking for. I think some kind of notice would be appreciated and would only ingratiate the product to the consumer. Well, yeah. I mean, you can only go so far out, though, I guess, of scheduling a guy being off. 48 hours, like, is, I think, is reasonable. Yeah, that's on. you probably bought your tickets way before 48 hours. Yeah. I think that's the, like, yeah, that's maybe the you're slippery right. slope. Problem. Like, yeah. Maybe for television purposes, like, that's easy. You can tell them 48 hours, and they can, like, figure out a way to flex it real quick. But, like, if you bought a ticket, like, you're kind of just rolling the dice, honestly, every single night, for real. Unless you have, unless you're a Milwaukee Buck fan, you'll see Giannis every single night. Thankfully, the creativity in the NBA is much better and more prevalent, especially yeah. with decision making, than any of the other major leagues. Yeah, um, I think it's right more now. adaptable. Yeah, I think they can solve a problem sooner and better than the NFL or MLB or yeah, right. I, I, I yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so too. We got some good hoops though. Ball has been back and it looks really good. Like these young kids, the rookie class looks really good to start out with. These kids look like difference makers immediately. Like even like the late lottery picks, like Benedict and in Indiana, it looks like a dude. And it's Mathurin, like Thurin, yeah, we we thought he was going to be a crazy. I mean, he said some wild how, stuff. But to that, I start think, the season. But. I think that's how you're supposed to be, though. Like that's how you you know he's a dude. Like he's talking about like LeBron James has to prove it to me every single night, not the other way around. That's how the kind of dog mentality you have to have to be a dude in the league like it's a this. A rare type of ego yeah. necessary to be a good to great player in the NBA. Even second year kids are showing like, wow, they didn't do any of this stuff last year. Like the game is in just such beautiful hands. I, like it's never been this athletic. It's never been this skilled ever, and it just keeps getting better and better every single year. Every single year. Yeah. Well, hold on to, to that um, thought process for we'll tackle something later. Okay. But, uh, yeah, the NBA uh, is in great hands, of course. Moving to sort of what we were just talking about in the NBA to the NFL. Okay. I love watching and looking for now the transition of 
great wide receivers in college becoming yeah. immediately productive in the NFL. So as recently as 2019, we are looking at a three-year trend where rookie wide receivers get to 1,000 or exceed that mark. In 2019, A.J. Brown for the Titans in 16 games accumulated 1,051 yards on 84 targets, uh, getting 54 res- receptions. That averages out to 65.7 yards per game. I think Terry McGlorm was in the same one as him, right? He, just he was a little it. bit close, and Deontay Johnson just missed, too. That was a really good receiving class. That was really a deep good. one. Yeah. yeah, Debo's in that one, too, isn't it? Debo, I think, at 800. Uh, and yeah, they were just Terry short had too. 915. Yeah. That was... Un- unfortunately, he missed two games yep. that season. He certainly yeah. was on pace to get it. Um, so, yes. So, A.J. Brown, that is a 65.7 yards per game and eight uh, touchdowns receiving, moving to the next season where the LSU product set the league on fire in 2020, where Justin Jefferson had 1,400 yards Mm -hmm. in 16 games, 88 receptions off 125 targets. That averages out to 87.5 yards per game. And he got to the end zone seven different times. Just to do it immediately. So you would think with those two guys, Brown and Jefferson, that that's like an anomaly. Like, uh, I can't, like, those are just unique guys. And then, like, Jamar does it with a year off from college. Well, there we go. In 2021, not only one or two, but three guys exceeded 1,000 yards, with Jamar Chase being the most prolific in 17 games, mind you, uh, 1,455 yards, 81 recep- receptions on 128 targets. Mm-hmm. That averages out to 85.6 yeah. yards per game with, with a crazy 13 touchdowns. Oh, yeah. He was eating. Kyle Pitts. Yeah. In 2021. Didn't find the end zone on U.S. soil, but he did rack up a lot of yards. Yes. Yeah, he was eating good. 1,026 yards Mm. in 17 games, 68 receptions on 110 targets, averaging out to 60.4 yards per game, Mm -hmm. and the lone touchdown in London. And then people forget, but Jalen Waddle mm-hmm. had 1,015. He set the rookie reception record. Yes, too, he did dude. at 104 he receptions, balling, and he did he did that in 16 games. Yep. So one fewer than his yep. 2021 draft mates. Uh, 104 receptions on 140 targets. Oh yeah, he was getting peppered. Six touchdowns, and it averages out to 63.4 yards per game yeah mind you that aj brown and justin jefferson were second round picks Mm -hmm. jamar chase was essentially a lottery pick yep Jalen waddle was a lottery pick and kyle pitts went before they did yep as a lottery pick also something to note for this pattern to see if it translates all of those guys all five played in what conference they played in the SEC. They it's all played in the football. SEC. Yeah. Right. 
those those kids are just they're Sunday ready. Like regardless of what position it is, they have a higher chance of being successful from the jump because of the physicality and the brand of football that they go against every single Saturday. Correct. So um it looks like that streak's probably gonna end this year. I don't know. Unfortunately. Well, like it depends how if New Orleans can figure out the quarterback situation, Alave should walk to a thousand yards. Well, we Garrett were. Wilson looked like he was going to if Flacco would have stayed in there. But with Zach Wilson, it's been a nightmare when he's been playing. So that's going to hurt Garrett Wilson's numbers. But And they don't throw the ball, but now with Drake Brick, London Brees Hall looked, out. Drake London looked like he could have for a couple games, and now they have no idea what they're doing with him either. So it's kind of been frustrating for this receiver class, which is really talented. But I think, I'm not sure, I probably like 800 is probably going to be what Alave probably gets to. Honestly, yeah. So it's it's good that you brought up Chris Olave. He is a member of the four rookie wide receivers that I'm paying the most attention to. Pickens has a decent chance with his rapport with with Kenny Pickett right now, but we'll, still, that offense. We'll is, explore yeah. the George Pickens situation in a moment, but the four are, of course, Chris Olave. Drake London, Garrett, Garrett Wilson, Wilson, and George Pickens. I left Christian out. Watson out. Yes, Dobbs, mm-hmm. Watson, and Pierce. Alec yeah. Pierce I left out. Um, he might have a chance, though. We'll monitor, I, well, but this Ellinger, Ellinger, yeah, it's yeah, kind of... it's probably dead. I'm pretty sure they're going to run because Frank Wright is now coaching That's for his job. terrible. Like, I, Matt Ryan it was not Matt Ryan's fault. He has three fourth-quarter game-winning drives, and he just came back and won a game. They were down 14 points last week. And, like, it's Matt Ryan's fault that you've made terrible general manager's decisions. Like, it was kind of one of those things where, like, we accepted we messed up, and we just have to go at Sam Ellinger time because we put draft capital in this kid, and hopefully he doesn't completely stink and we can rectify it. They've spent $148 million on 12 different quarterbacks since Andrew Luck retired. That is incompetence I've ever seen in my life. To me, and I think there are a few organizations who have or will experience this, there is no colder and more unforgiving state to be in than to not only draft one Hall of Fame quarterback, in Indianapolis with Peyton Manning. That was as great and fortunate of a thing as possible. Yeah. But to do that again with Andrew Luck, it puts people who, in my opinion, um, develop sort of a a delusional take on life when they are fortunate to the point that they become rotten. Yeah. And those people tend to suffer the greatest when adversity hits. So because the Colts hit twice on something that most franchises never hit on. Not even once. Not even once. They are the least prepared for the reality of the NFL. Bad drafting. And I mean, they just, they didn't really, I don't know, build correctly around Andrew. Once they got him, they didn't really prioritize. They didn't prioritize the right things. And then once he was gone, they started the process of prioritizing the trenches. And they started paying dues that you should pay at certain position groups, but they didn't have a quarterback. 
They had Jacoby Brissett and Phillip Rivers. And then, like, what they're going through now, it's really bad drafting. You've lost a lot of high-end draft capital to get these overpaid quarterbacks in here. You're not giving them time to get ingraded into your scheme or whatever. You're behind the eight ball nonstop. And Which is just, the a, case for most it's franchises. It's a vicious cycle for them because they are talented at almost every spot, but they're starting from the ground up every single offseason at the quarterback spot. Correct. Like, you're in hell. I don't care what your team is. You don't have a quarterback, you're in hell. Good luck, dude. It's not going to get any better for you. And that hell is hotter because they were so used to the maybe details and errors that were covered and compensated by every Sunday by place. great quarterback yeah. play. And you played in a, a really bad division for a long time. Yeah. And Mike Vrabel is arguably the best coach in football, honestly. And he has one of the most talented teams in football. And it's not the case anymore. It's just not the case. And if you look at the way how bloated their cap is and their lack of draft capital they really have for a long time, I don't know how Chris Ballard fixes this in the lines of looking at like kind of the capital that Jacksonville has going forward. It looks like they kind of have figured something out with Doug Peterson and the new regime. Houston looks like they're trying to figure something out. They have one of the best point differentials in football for the first three quarters. I mean, they're not completely as bad as their record says. If you just look at the Colts, they're just a giant disappointment again. Yeah, correct. And it pleases me that uh, Jim Irsay is suffering with only squeezing one Super Bowl out of two generational talents he, at he quarterback. He promised that city like four years ago two more Super Bowl titles, and they haven't even made it out of the first round. Can't, can't you know? get it. Yeah. I'm in the same the, – the other franchise I, I'm alluding to is – Certainly Green Bay, who oh, yeah. has two Super Bowls with arguably two of the five best quarterbacks to ever breathe oxygen. Yeah. They have two Super Bowls with Brett Favre winning three MVPs and Aaron Rodgers winning four MVPs. I think that does just kind of hammer my point home. I try to tell people casually that like if winning is really hard in sports, but it's definitely super hard in the NFL. Like you could have the best team possible and you're not going to win it every year. Like you're just not like that's what just made new England that much more incredible is that they were the best team arguably every year and they still won somehow every year and everyone else was just trying to catch up and they just couldn't do it. Yeah. I think the Tom Brady, Bill Belichick combination. We'll never see anything like that ever again. A total anomaly we'll that doesn't occur. Like that ever again. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Ever again. Moving back to the wide receivers of 2022. Sorry, we went on the Colts tangent because of Alex no, no. Pierce. Ta tangents, are, tangents are great. Uh, with Chris Olave, six games played, 32 receptions off 56 targets, 495 receiving yards, where he averages 82.5 yards per and game. And that's him basically being the dude on that offense because they've had times where they've missed it. Alvin Kamara. They've missed Michael Thomas most of the year. Jarvis Landry's been out most of the year with Jameis Winston, who's hurt, and Andy Dalton as quarterback flip-flopping. For him to put numbers up like that, you can tell this guy is going to be a dude going forward. Yeah, yeah, certainly could be a yeah, dude. he's going to be awesome. Man. But to me, the 82.5 is well over uh, the 59 yards per game necessary to get to 1,000 yep. over 17 games. Yeah. So he's well on his way to get there. I would agree that quarterback play could yeah. squander some of that production. 
I think that's most of these kids is just going to be their their offensive situation they're in going forward. If you look at Alave and Pickens has shown just superstar ability. Every time you watch him, he pops when he gets the ball. But the offensive scheme in Pittsburgh is horrendous. Garrett Wilson, the offensive scheme, it's really good and it's it's moving points, but his quarterback position stinks, unfortunately. Because Garrett Wilson, he looked really good with Joe Flacco. He looked really good. Like we were talking about this guy might win off as a rookie of the year with Flacco in there. Now it's just been he probably gets, I think he's getting like three or four targets a game since Zach Wilson came back. It's just, it's not good. Elijah Moore is asking for a trade as a second year player. I mean, it's just not great. As a five and two football team, it's just not good. Your second year quarterback doesn't look like he's a guy. No, and they don't trust him. So, no, as he, they shouldn't. He hasn't really proven that they should. Even if, if they do give him sort of that green light, I don't know if Garrett Wilson gets into the mix. It doesn't appear he will. Yeah. Yeah, Garrett Wilson will explore that. At 314 yards, uh, over seven games played. Most of that was against Cleveland. Yeah, the 28 <laughs> the twenty-eight receptions on 53 targets. That's just not enough volume, man. That gets him to right about 45 yards per game, which is not no. going to do it. And the three games... Uh, to start the seasons where he got his yeah touchdowns, of course, and a remarkable amount of targets and receptions. So that is something to look. Flacco was peppering the guy. He certainly was. Yeah. And they threw the ball like 50-plus a game. So yep. Yep. they're not doing that anymore. However, they don't need to. Brees Hall getting hurt is a major now, development. Joe Douglas going to get Robinson was an incredible move. The guy who has been considered a workhorse or whatever, but he had basically a year off last year because Urban Meyer didn't know what he was doing. So I mean, he's a Jane Robinson's a dude. He's so definitely very, a dude. He is very talented. They already have Michael Carter Jr. too, so they could still get that run game going. Going. It sucks they lose Vita Tucker too. I think Vera that's a Tucker big, that's was, a bigger one to me than it's a Reece major Hall. major deal. He, he was playing three different spots in that. Yeah, line. he was playing Pro Bowl yeah. caliber left. And right tackle, and I forget which for guard he was two. playing. Like, but. he's been awesome. So that's I think that's a bigger one. Getting James Robinson is a Band-Aid on that for a little bit, but you're not going to replace Tucker like that. And they just got, like, they just got Brown back at the other tackle, and everything felt like, all right, this is the unit we wanted to start out with, and then... And who knows if Mekhi Becton will ever yeah. play a snap. So, uh, so Garrett Wilson's probably not going to do it. Right. Drake London, uh, the 44 uh, targets, 26 receptions... In seven games for 315. What in a, is Atlanta doing? In then? in a Arthur Smith offense that does not throw to playmakers. Oh, by the way, in the last two drafts, you prioritize Correct. You the skill positions at the number four tight overall, end, tight end fourth overall, and then eighth overall, you take a wide, wide receiver, receiver and you don't throw well, them. You don't the ball. have a quarterback really. You don't really have a good offensive line. You don't really have a good defensive line. You don't really have a lot of pieces that you can really build. I feel like those positions are ones that are glamour positions for teams that are really good. Like towards the 20s, you take a skill position guy because you have established players everywhere else. Like they need a quarterback. They needed a quarterback for years. And they've prioritized a top 10 pick that teams that are, are dying to have who are stuck in quarterback purgatory. They're just like, no, nah, don't worry about it. We'll take a tight end and a wide receiver, and we don't throw it to him either. It's unbelievable what Atlanta's doing. But 
there's still a game out of the NFC South, so you can't say too much about it, I guess. I don't know. I I have no idea what they're doing. And then for me, the best option of the four rookies is George Pickens, Pickens yeah. for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Dog. In the seven games he's played, he's turned the 40 targets into 26 receptions, mm. which is a pretty phenomenal catch. You throw on the ball, rate. that boy's going to catch it. The... Yards per game is not good, but let me let me qualify why you can throw that out a he little bit. Plays for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Matt Canada doesn't know how to have a successful offense. His route profile is dreadful. That's why it's it's so it's starting to turn the corner now with Pickett because he drives the ball down the field a little bit more, and him and and Pickens have a really good rapport. It could get better, but with Mitch in there, Mitch wouldn't even look at him, let alone throw him the ball down the field. So it's it has been a nightmare for the Steelers' offense, given how many dudes they have. So it certainly depends on Kenny Pickett. I would it agree. Depends. Matt Canada's got to go. The status and ability to be upright for number eight that is directly uh, it translates in a way to George Pickens, obviously, because he's a wide receiver. But with Mitch or whoever else they put behind center, they're not even looking on the outside, outside the numbers, where Pickens does most of his damage. But let's discuss number 14 out of Georgia, who was taken in the second round. If you throw out weeks one and two, where he only got five targets... And two receptions for 26. You look at three, weeks three to seven, 35 targets, 24 receptions, 312, and a touchdown. Mm -hmm. So if you average that amount by five games, that's a 62.4. So looking at it, if he plays just about as well as he's played with the 338 for his first seven games, plus the 10 remaining games, which would give you 624 yards, that gives you a sum of 962. I feel like he'll just be just short, and it'll be because of the lack of production the first three and a half weeks of the season, honestly, just by just bad quarterback play and just a dreadful scheme, which won't change. I mean, it's not going to change. Matt Canada's not going to get fired anytime soon, so the wide receivers are still not going to be running really routes that really accentuate their skills and – they're not going to put Kenny Pickett in any real positions to really succeed anyway, and the run game's going to stink because they don't really put him in any situations to be successful running the ball either. So you just got to get through this year until Matt Canada's gone, and then from there, maybe we'll see what the rest of these guys are really like. But you can't grade any of these people right now given what this is. It is terrible. This is Kenny Pickett's third start in the league, and people are already talking about whether he's a bust or not. He's playing with arguably the worst scheme in football. And it's his third career start. What did you expect it to look like? It's dreadful. He's in not in any situations to really succeed a lot. It's very painful to watch. Extremely painful. Yeah, for me, uh, being sort of separated from the fan experience yeah. and being a diehard like you are for your Pittsburgh Steelers, two things that really affect and potentially act as a catalyst for George Pickens being the sixth member in four years to eclipse a thousand yards at yeah. wide receiver or receiving uh, position. 
The one thing <clears throat> is the potential departure of Chase Claypool. Uh, Don't which, do it. Don't which do it. It's possible. Don't do it. It's possible. Don't do it. And you pair that with, I call it sporadic production from Deontay Johnson, who outside of last year, who was a major beneficiary of Ben Roethlisberger. Buddy ball. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't know if he is the kind of player that augments and creates for quarterbacks like Chase or Jefferson. Um, Deontay is really one of those like quick twitch, like really twitchy dudes who gets open. Probably, I think he has the highest uh, rate of getting open in the league right now. So he gets open a lot. It's just again the route profiles that these kids are running just. They aren't helping these dudes out at all. Yeah, within five yards, Deontay Johnson is very good. He wins off the line almost every single possession, and they a lot of times play zone against him, and they can't really do anything because the, the route trees are just so dumb and the plays are predictable. You can't convince me that they have more than 15 plays that they run offensively. I was watching Dan Orlowski talk about it. He's like, there's no way they have more than 10 plays every single game. There's no way. Yeah, I'm just a stooge on the couch, and I know what they're going to do just by the set that they're in. Like, there's no way that NFL defenses don't have any idea what they're doing either. Yeah, game it's planning. It's painfully predictable, man. Game planning for that offense is obvious. And that leads me to my second point, where if the Steelers go under 500, which now there is no such thing as 500 at in a 17-odd-numbered uh, amount of games. Put Mike Tomlin in the Hall of Fame today if he gets his team with a winning record at the end of the year. Fair enough. But when it comes to blaming and scapegoating, it is abundantly obvious that it's got to be Matt Canada who who falls on the sword at the end of the year. So for me, if I'm Canada and very little works because of a number of different issues and I see glimpses of production with Pickett to... George Pickens, I give number 14 the ball as often as possible yeah, to save my job. I'm at with the two where him and Pat Firemuth are their most dependable skill position guys on a play-to-play basis, and they get the least of the target share so far throughout the year, and it's just kind of – it's very irritating for Steeler fans to watch. And just people who just pay attention to the game really like in-depth and watch every single team, they're just like, I don't understand the plan for the Steelers. They're two best guys – get like the least target share it's very weird i don't know but as soon as matt canada gone then we can start to uh really see what kenny pickett is and what george pickens is and deontay johnson and claypool and all these guys and and Najee harris too like that's we can't really grade any of these people yet until they get a scheme that doesn't completely stink yeah another reason why i feel it's pickens and not anyone else although alave is ahead of him he's currently. He really does have a chance to get it, though. He if does. they get that quarterback position knocked down, they really do have a chance. But you look at his production in games where Taysom Hill is present and Kamara is back, it doesn't bode well for uh, yeah. a healthy amount of touches, targets, etc. They're in the manufacturer offense kind of point of their season where they have to do literally anything to make things work. So that's not going to be a lot of plays to just throw it to the Chris Olave because he's a guy that's going to be like, well, let's get Taysom Hill in here, do some read option, and maybe we'll throw it to Taysom Hill and stuff like that. They're at a point where they're just throwing stuff at the wall because they're just not – I mean, it's just not great. 
offensively for them. Yeah, if Michael Thomas ever comes back, he's going to eat into that target share for sure. So yeah. and Landry too. I mean, they got they got mouths to feed. So they do. Yeah. With if there's any con- uh, consolation with George Pickens and what he has to do in the last ten games to get to that a thousand. Mm-hmm. So he's averaging sixty-two and a half essentially yards a game. Mm-hmm. If he accumulates just four more yards a game, he will get over a thousand. I think it'll start opening up here shortly. I, I think hope, it's I reasonable so. to predict that, and it would also follow the trend that SEC, SEC produces the yeah. guys who. To me, Green Bay Chase, Packers had a couple times to get George Pickens, but they decided not to. They could have drafted Terry McLaurin out of Ohio State in third took, round, and they didn't. They took Jace Steenberger or whatever, the tight end out of Texas A&M, who caught like two balls from Aaron Rodgers. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just bad drafting for a lot of these teams. Yep. Just bad drafting. Yes, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, for me... Uh, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson are certainly in that top three, top five yeah. range uh, of j- the best wide receivers in football. A.J. Brown probably is a top 10 kind of oh, guy. Easily, yeah. Jalen Waddell, I think, is as good of a number two as the possible. same team on in Philly, Devontae Smith. I mean, he was... 900-something? I mean, yeah, yeah, he was pretty close last year, too, once they started to throw the ball a little bit more last year. He's an absolute dude, too. So, yes, I mean, they have, there are some dudes out of the SEC that are just complete animals on the outside, wide receiver-wise. Yeah. Absolute dogs. And it's a shame with Kyle Pitts and his situation in Atlanta with... I thought it was going to be different with Marcus Mariota instead of Matt Ryan, but I never thought it was going to be... Two targets a game. Yeah, it's not even a thing. Like, that is insane to me. Like, Mariota's running a bunch or something like that. So that's why you think, well, they got Mariota and they're running a lot. He's not even running a lot. They're just, they're not throwing the ball to Kyle Pitt. They're not throwing the ball to Drake London. I just, I don't get what they're doing. Like, they were in a negative game script all game against Cincinnati last week, and they barely got any targets out of those two guys. I just don't get it. Certainly doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't make sense. I don't know what some of these teams are doing, man. That's why a lot of these teams are like 500. Yeah. They're just not playing good football. A gist from us is if you're looking for playmakers at wide receivers and an immediate return on investment, draft from the SEC. There you well, go. It's like once Jameson Williams starts playing for Detroit, that's going to be a guy immediately. Oh, Michi, yeah. When he comes back eventually for Houston, that's going to be a dude I hope that's SEC. a story. That's a great story. I mean, there's just guys that are just going to come from the SEC constantly. Just It's a wide receiver factory there, honestly. There was a little bit where Clemson was, you know, wide receiver university because of Hopkins, and then Martavis Bryant was an alien, but, you know, the drugs and stuff. But now it's kind of come to the point, just go to the SEC for a receiver, man. Or just about any position group. Just go to the SEC. If you want a good guard, probably go to Iowa. Or a good blocking tight end, go to Iowa. Yeah, I, this is a good transition. Last story of the night. I would agree. SEC, when in doubt, always go with those yeah. players from those factories. Totally in agreement with you. It's a good chance. But when it comes to pass rushers, surprisingly, you got to go to the Big Ten. Oh, yeah. To if get to Nick, Ohio Nick State. Bosa oh, yeah. and Micah Parsons and a healthy T.J. Watt. J.J. Mm-hmm. Watt in Wisconsin. Both those dudes. Uh, who else do we got? Both Bosa's and transitioning perfectly to Chase Young, mm, who was a monster at Ohio State. 
And that is where our last story of the night... Oh, do you have an update? ...goes to. No. Oh. So the issue for me is unlike a great, thrilling movie where suspense is part of the experience and the enhancement for certain genres. Mm -hmm. But in the case where an organization and a head coach do not offer updates and sort of giving fans and the NFL notice on the health and well-being of their best player and most valuable asset. He met with Andrews on Sunday, right? Essentially, it's it got pushed again. It's muddled oh, um, to uh, Wednesday. Okay. So he's meeting with Dr. Andrews on Wednesday. He had a workout before the game on Sunday. Well, that's good, at least. I didn't know he was even doing that. That's oh, good, at least. Yeah, oh, certainly. Uh, but it is strange, the level of suspense that doesn't need to be here. It needs to be clear and concise about his knee and his availability and his conditioning, which I, they have not disclosed now, properly. I think maybe I'm not reading this correctly, or maybe I, I'm not sure. Is it because they're not giving you a clear, concise update? Is that because it's super negative on their point? That's they, what I'm getting to. Okay. Is the only real, real reason to Leave give you in doubt. doubt and suspense for yeah. something that is news that needs to be delivered, good, bad, or indifferent. It's probably bad news. Because they said it was pretty horrific. They used that word a couple of times describing his injury when it happened. That usually doesn't sound like a quick recovery. No, it was a stage three ACL, MCL reconstruction, and which is different than repair. Knee, his whole knee was gone. Yeah. So they had to graft the other knee. It's, it, it's a lot more man, complicated. That's a big dude, too, man. That's, that's going to be a lot of... He's going to have to trust that knee for an entire year. And he probably won't be the same until that year goes well. And then he can trust his knee and he can burst off it and then build strength on it again and get better. Like we could not see him play like serious chase young ball for like two years. It's, it's possible. It's definitely possible. Um, the injury was sustained in 2021 last November. So it will be roughly a year where he tore that ACL against Tampa. A note for fans in Washington and everywhere for sort of the talent that is Chase Young. The deadline for him to return from the IR is Wednesday, Let's November Wednesday. 16th. Yeah. So he has week eight against Indy, week nine against Minnesota, and week 10 against Philadelphia to get back into the lineup and roster and depth chart to avoid being mothballed, essentially, for the entire year. I guess it would look good for, I guess, a recovery standpoint if he makes it to the point where they designate him to come off the IR. They feel like he's good enough to take a roster spot and be on the depth chart. I guess that looks good if you're a fan. Like, okay, he's progressing enough. And it, even as an organization, that probably feels really good. But I just don't see the point in him playing this year at all. I, I, I wouldn't mind if the, he misses the window to not come off. And he just takes this whole time just to get right until you go into training camp. And then 
he really gets into it. I totally agree with that sentiment. I would always take the Caution. safety and well-being yeah. of the athlete, especially one that was so revered and supposed to be franchise-changing. Yeah, he's an alien. Which, by the way, in that draft, obviously you couldn't draft Joe Burrow, who went one, but Justin Herbert was there at two yeah. and got taken at six. Yeah. So Again, it was a lot of negative things because that Oregon team stunk and he played for Oregon and people weren't very impressed with some of the tape, so they overthought it. Yeah. Nope. You. I mean, you bring up a good point. Hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. God, man. Could you imagine yeah. Herbert with Terry McLaurin and. I. I, I think I have wet dreams yeah, I about, bet it you do think about it every enough weekend. Yeah. Um. Lastly, the Washington defense, which has turned it around when it comes to. Do you want them to train pain? No, of course not. Okay. Um. The defense is tied for sixth. In sacks this season at 19. Yeah, they're the only team that has multiple guys over five. So, I mean, they're they're getting out for the quarterback. It's just the back end hasn't been very good. And once they benched William Jackson the third, it's been, it's been better. Yeah. St. Just and, and even uh, Wild Goose, 37, has been playing well. Yeah. Uh, well enough. Um, better than it was before because it was rock bottom to begin the year. So, yeah. I mean, their defense is getting around to where they're pretty respectable and Heineke looked all right against Green Bay. I thought he made the plays he needed to towards the end of the stretch, but Green Bay was just really bad again. So I don't know what the temperature is for commie fans. I don't know. I guess it's no lukewarm. I, I guess it's fine. For for me as a Washington Commanders fan, uh-huh. I am inherently skeptical and cynical as when it comes to the decisions that the organization makes. Mm-hmm. And with... The Chase Young situation, I think it will be handled poorly, improperly. I hope not. Because it it will draw attention away from the obvious Dan Snyder situations. And perhaps it will help the defense perform at another level. But that would take the enormous sort of storyline surrounding Ron Rivera two weeks ago where they were going into Thursday Night Football in Chicago, having one win and looking terrible. Yeah. And two wins later, those talks have cooled off. And he and everyone else in the organization, I think, for some reason, are going all in on winning a wild card in an NFC East that has never been this good. Yeah. So I I just, I don't know. Chase Young should probably take the rest of the season off. Yeah, I think this is. But a weird I don't spot. think he's going to get that benefit. You're in a weird spot because there's a lot of teams that are sitting there that look at they're three and four, they're what four and three, and they're kind of not kind of separating themselves besides the three teams in NFC East, and then you have the Chiefs and you have the Bills, but everyone else is kind of all right there, and it's kind of hard not to convince yourself that why can't we get a wild card spot over these teams. There's a weird spot because if you shut it down, people are like, "What's your deal? Like you're you're right around everybody else. What's the matter with you?" Yeah, I, I would I would prefer which is terrible because Chase Young getting the year off. Will, they'll kind of I don't know. They'll think they're in a spot that they're really not, 
and then they'll kind of mortgage their future potentially by adding a guy that they need to add, and they'll lose a guy, and it, they'll just make a stupid move and a knee-jerk reaction of a win now, and they'll kind of screw their process up, and then they'll just be stuck in more of a purgatory of like, we're not going to win a Super Bowl, we're not bad enough to really get a good guy in the top 10, we'll just be in the middle, and it's all good. Yeah, I mean, for me, when it comes to Ron Rivera and... Jack Del Rio and Scott Turner all should have gotten fired weeks ago. Yeah. But in any other season in the last 10 years, a three-win team in the middle of October has a chance in the NFC East. This year? You're better than the Eagles, Cowboys, and Giants? Are you you serious about that? Yeah. Come on. It is crazy what the Giants are doing, man. Like that's, it's still, it's like, it's not even, I mean, people are, I don't think people are talking enough of the fact that the Philadelphia Eagles are undefeated right now going to a game against Pittsburgh this weekend. More people are just fascinated with the fact that the Giants are what they're doing right now. And they're third place in that division. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's uh, a, a great point. It's wild. And we will. The we season will... makes no sense. Tom Brady just got curb stomped by PJ Walker. It doesn't make any sense what's happening this year. Yes. Outside of Buffalo, Kansas City. Nobody makes any sense. Couldn't have really predicted no. the outcomes thus far. Brian Dable's, what, leader in the doghouse for coach of the year? Like, are you kidding me? No. No one had that coming into the season. No one had the Jets being 5-2. and two. And the Broncos being The Broncos terrible. being so bad? Yeah. No, you're totally Seattle right. Seattle leading the NFC West right now? Geno Smith being the most accurate quarterback in football? Everyone thought Pete Carroll was an idiot for not starting Drew Locke. Now look at him. Yeah. Nothing makes sense in the NFL right now. Yeah, Pete Carroll is making Seattle look more and more like oh, USC yeah. of old Sneaky than it Pete. has in the last five years. So that Sneaky is very, very cool and, and a great Denver. development for the NFC West. So Everyone made fun of him when he said, I'm not here to rebuild this year. Everyone made fun of him thought he was an old kook. But look, they're leading the NFC West right now. He knew better than we did. <laughs> yep. Well, that is it for tonight. That is Tom Shiflett. I'm Chris Miller. Thank you for tuning in. It's over. It's over. Y'all take it easy. I'm out.